0: This is an ABC podcast. I'm Lucy Smith. Welcome to Science with Dr. Carl. We do this every week, answering your science questions. And Dr. Carl, this week it's a little bit of a splendour edition. We're both heading up north. Splendour in the Grass. The first one in a little while and you're going to be doing some science talks as well. What have you got in store?
1: Um, Messages of good hope plus uh, funny stuff plus uh, answering questions plus um, I'm really hoping this is a karaoke tent.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to need a video of that if I don't see it but great moments in science is happening at Splendour in the Grass and I thought I'd kick us off with A question already that someone has Ah. because a lot of people are going to be in this boat with the mud, with the weather that's going to be happening. What do you reckon? Do I get more blisters from wet shoes or from wearing oversized gumboots?
1: Having walked across Spain, uh, I can tell you that this is relatively idiosyncratic, which means it's difficult to make overall rules and it changes person to person. In the case of my wife, she could just wear her shoes and lace them tightly and not lace them, do 25 kilometres a day, day after day, walk 790 kilometres across Spain, no problems. In my case, I had to pay a little bit of attention and if I laced them too hard, it would hurt and I'd have difficulty walking and if I had them too loose I'd get a bit of a blister uh-huh. but if I if I did it exactly carefully and tightened up a few times during the day I could get zero blisters with my daughter Alice no matter what she did she got blisters so it'll vary from person to person because your foot most of us don't have what we call bespoke shoes where they're made speci- specifically for our feet they have to be you know sort of bought in general for the average person so all I can say is it's gonna vary. Isn't that a long way to say I don't know and it'll vary a lot?
0: Well what would you do? Are you gonna be doing gum boots or suffering with the wet shoes?
1: I've got walking boots, the so sort sort of I use in the Himalayas and Antarctica, and they're pretty good and they're waterproof maybe 10 centimetres up from the ground. So if I happen to go into a deep puddle, I'll be okay. Uh, And I'll just have to clean them off at the end and then make sure I put that whole waxy thing and take care of them afterwards.
0: Hang on, I can just answer this question for this person. I I reckon you wear the gumboots and just wear some... Thick socks, because they're going to be spacious anyway, wear some thick thermal socks, have them inside the boots. So then you're kind of staying dry, you're staying warm and avoiding blisters because you've got that layer between your foot and the gum boot.
1: True, but you don't have that sort of curvature of the gum boot trying to follow your foot to try and imp- enhance your, the architecture this of how true. you walk. So, But on the other hand, I'm with you entirely. The thick sock, why didn't I think of that? Yeah. Dr Lucy, you hit it in one.
0: I got this. We got Johnny from Shellhaven who's going to kick us off Johnny, what's your question?
2: My question is, in considering a few different theories of science behind all this, like things can't be created or destroyed, but what's the long-term effects of Earth-specific gravity within the atmosphere and the solar system? If we keep mining materials that we use to then build satellites and Elon Musk's car that he's put into space, if we put all these things into space does that change our specific gravity within the atmosphere?
1: Uh, It will change the mass of the Earth slightly. So the mass of the Earth is increasing because we get hit by 50,000 tonnes of meteors per year. We, it is also decreasing because we lose 90,000 tonnes or tonnes of hydrogen and a little bit of helium. So overall, the Earth is losing about 40,000 tonnes of mass each year. And the weight of the stuff that we put into orbit is maybe a couple of thousand tonnes. But here's the important part. When you do the equations, Kepler's equations and Newton's equations, that describe the orbits of an object around another object, like, say, for example, the Earth around the sun or the moon around the Earth or satellites around the Earth, nowhere in there is a term for mass. So the Earth could weigh a kilogram or it could weigh um, six followed by 24 zeros kilograms, which is what it weighs, um, and it wouldn't change anything. So the Earth's orbit wouldn't change, but what we are doing is redistributing the mass on the Earth. And what we've done, and we measured this happening firstly in 2005, we actually tipped the Earth off its axis a little bit, so the Earth is about 23 and a half degrees uh, tipped from the vertical, and that north-south axis was 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 slowly moving towards the equator at about 10 or six or 10 centimeters a year. In 2005, it suddenly changed direction and started going parallel to the equator and sped up by a factor of three or four to about 26 centimeters a year. And we did that by shifting stuff around the Earth, not. The, the stuff that we shift with coal and iron ore, etc., is about 30 billion tonnes. That's not enough. What we did, however, was by use, putting greenhouse gases into the air and then heating up the atmosphere... By 600,000 Hiroshima bombs worth of heat per day, we melted ice. And we're currently melting, melting about a billion tons of ice. Not 30 million, but a billion tons. So the first thing we did was we tipped the Earth off its axis. And the second one I'm still working on is it appears as though we have made the Earth speed up by shifting ice from high altitude to low altitude. Think of the ice skater on one shoe. They bring their hand close to the spin axis of the body. They speed up. So... The orbit haven't changed, but the characteristics of the Earth itself, we have changed. Does that answer your question?
2: Yeah, it certainly puts some clarity on it. So what's the long-term scope of that if we keep kind of changing this, like you say, the speed of the orbit?
1: Well, the, the the speed of the orbit is fixed at around thirty kilometres a second, but the we're already seeing climate change, like the stuff happening in the United Kingdom and in Europe and in Australia. We've had forests that haven't burned for thirty five thousand years have burnt in twenty twenty when we burnt twenty thousand. Know, yeah, we, we had been, Sorry, we burned twenty percent of all the forests in Australia. But we can reverse it. Good news, we can reverse it.
0: We got Aaron here from Brisbane. Aaron, you got a question about music. Dr. Erin, welcome. And we love that. Thank
3: you very much. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So my question is something that I've been thinking about for a little while now. Um, Why are people drawn to particular genres of music? So is there any scientific reasoning behind it or is it more human conditioning?
1: Um, There's a phenomenon called imprinting. And so if you appear in the field of view of a duck, immediately that it comes out of its egg, you're its mum or dad, and you're stuck with that forever, and it will follow you around. Um, In the same way, and this is what I've been reading, I'm not a musicologist, if there's a musicologist or a psychologist, please ring in, here's my simple theory from what I've been reading. We, because the hormones are racing like crazy between puberty and the early twenties, we also imprint with the music of the time. And whatever music there was, mm. man, that was the best music there ever was or ever will be. And everything else is just crap. Um luckily I've been following Triple J and Double J for a long time, so I'm trying to keep up with the new music. So that's the best I got. And if the what's the magic number people should ring in on?
0: Well, you can text in O four three nine ah. seven five at seven triple five. But yeah, Erin, it's something that you think about when you see, you know, particular people who maybe are into really quite jarring genres, be it, you know, um, techno or or or, yeah. or heavy metal, and that can feel yeah. so grating to your yeah. own ears. But to some people, they love it. Zan Rowe actually did a chat with a, a musicologist for the Hooray. Take 5. I wish so, you could get Zan
1: to come and answer this.
0: Yeah, potentially. Dip into the Take 5 and see what they say about you know, the way that we associate with music.
1: And uh, I remember at the time when the Sex Pistols came out with all that punk stuff, I really didn't like it. And then I saw the doco on TV somewhere streaming and I'm in love with the Sex Pistols now.
0: Mm. I know that a lot of people have that relationship with classical music as ah. well. So they didn't like a potential when they were younger or growing up. They found it boring but then they use it to study now or they use it to focus. So, Erin... Something we're constantly wondering, but thank you so much. We've got to get some musicology on here. Music science. We've got Ryan in Maitland. Ryan, welcome. Ryan, you got a question about allergies?
2: Oh, g'day doctors. How are you going today? Hell yeah. Um, all right. Now, my partner has got celiac disease and she's also allergic to eggs and dairy products. So, my question is that if we go out for dinner, will the gluten from what I eat, because I'm not allergic. Uh, will that be able to, how long would that last inside my mouth if I was to do um, kisser or, um, and, and, and stuff?
1: Okay, so with regard to gluten, there yeah. are specific proteins, the gluten proteins within wheat, that will set off a whole bunch of reactions um, mm. ranging from rea- little rashes like psoriasis all the way up to feeling like you've got to go to the toilet a lot and you've got the squirts. With regard to dairy products, similar sort of reaction for one-third of the people on the planet who had the mutation and two-thirds don't. With regard to eggs, that's a different reaction. That's an allergic reaction. Now, it turns out that many of the vaccines used to be grown in eggs In fact, Australia has its own vaccine chicken flock where they squirt stuff into the egg and the egg is a living creature. It manufactures the vaccine. We then filter it out, but tiny bits of the egg still remain behind. So that's why they ask you when they give you some vaccines the ones that were grown in eggs, are you allergic? And in that case, if you're truly allergic, you, which is a quite different thing from the having the squirts from the dairy or the gluten, which can is also a different range, if you're truly allergic, you can drop dead. And so a full allergic reaction involves the EpiPen. Now, um, I would recommend, uh, seeing how you're such a nice stu- person about this and trying to study up on it, I would reckon that after a meal, you do a bit of a, a mouth rinse. I, I'm kind of thinking water would be enough. I don't think you'd need to use a proper mouthwash, the um, dentists say that there are benefits to having sort of like a calcium mouthwash. So if a, calci- if a dentist can ring in and let us know, but I'm just thinking that a good thorough mouthwash afterwards, pff, squirt, 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 squirt down the basin will do it.
2: Oh, I
0: hope beauty. so. Thanks, Excellent. Ryan.
3: Thank you, Dr. no Ryan. worries. Thanks very much. Have a majestic day, guys.
0: Oh, majestic. You too, I majestic. <laughs> oh, nice. Georgia from Bathurst has texted in saying I had the same theory about music taste. Also, because the emotional part of our brains is largest during adolescence. So, is that why we particularly lean towards that music that we have?
1: Many theories. Grown that's, up that's, with? that's a good starting point. Many many hypotheses or, or conjectures. <laughs>
0: You are joining us in the midst of science with Dr. Carl, answering your science questions on a Thursday. And we've got Alex from Fitzroy. Alex, this is something that I've seen in the news a fair bit. What question have you got
3: for Carl? Uh, My question is, why are females getting long COVID more than
1: males? Mm. Um, We've been following our way along this virus. And when I say this virus, the stupid thing keeps on changing. Oh. Right, Um And so when you say, I've had it, so I'm safe, well, it turns out that what you've got protection against in the past only gives you less protection now. And just to give you a brief summary, a combination of a very slight infection and vac- vaccinated all the way up is better than just vaccinated all the way up. But when you get the slight infection, you're in the lottery where you could get long COVID. And I think I mentioned the colleague of mine that – Five years ago, climbed Mount Everest and now can't go up three sets of stairs. Right, There's, So uh, we, we know – it does seem that females are getting it more frequently and we do not know why. We're learning.
0: Did you say – hang on. Did you say less protection earlier? Did you mean less um, or more so,
1: of- Okay, so in the early days when we had the vaccines and we had those early variants – of the disease, of the virus, the vaccines gave pretty good protection. Now that the disease, the vi- oh. the virus has mutated more, they're giving less protection. And oh, what we okay, need yep. is, is basically what we do with flu. We've just got to keep pumping out new vaccines all the time. Just remember, the only reason that you can have a chicken schnitty or a chicken palmy or, hot chi- or baked chicken, fried chicken or uh, chicken soup is because virtually every commercial chicken on earth is vaccinated on the day it hatches. And every two weeks after, against a variant of coronavirus that infects chickens that arose in 1937. Wow. If we did not infect chickens, there'd be no such thing as chicken except if you had a like a special Sunday thing and you'd go to the butcher and say, can you get us a chicken? And they say, oh, yeah, I know somebody who's got a farm out there which is socially isolated and distanced from somebody else's farm, so there'd be small amounts of chicken. So they get vaccinated every two weeks. Wait. We, so we, we're going to have to get vaccinated every six months or every year as the virus keeps on mutating. And in the same way that the chickens survive, we t- against their version of the chicken coronavirus, we humans will be able to withstand our version. And ultimately, you go to the GP, they look at your DNA, they check out what v- vac- viruses is around, and in the doctor's surgery, they'll print off some vaccines for you on the spot and you just get it done every six months and you don't die. we're
0: not sure why long COVID is kind of targeting women more? Because
1: there's so many different types of long COVID. Like in some people, uh, long COVID means they can't smell or in some people, Mm. they just get tired every afternoon or in some people, they're physically exhausted all the time or sometimes they just get exhausted at four o'clock in the afternoon and and, and some of them have headaches. There are just so many varieties of this. The COVID virus seems to be going... uh, in all parts of the human physiology and we still uh, we don't know. We're learning a lot though.
0: And it's still quite young, you know. The oh. concept of long COVID is still new sure. to well, us.
1: Well, just think about the um, virus that hit them in 1937, the chicken virus. It's still around and it hasn't got weaker. It's still just as lethal. So, you know, we're still vaccinating chickens every two weeks.
0: Okay. Well, thanks, Alex. For your Sorry, question. Alex.
1: Sorry, I don't have a good answer, Alex.
0: That's all right. Thank, we got,
1: you, thank <laughs> you, Dr Ellis. I'm
0: sorry. I'm disappointed too. I'm no, we got John on the Sunshine Coast. Dr. John, welcome. Dr John, you're a welder. You were having a conversation with someone the other day. What happened? Yes,
2: yeah, so I was having a conversation with a work colleague about um, having two burnt metals in space and you stick them together and they will fuse and weld themselves together. My question is, is this true? And if so, like how does it fuse itself in space but not on Earth?
1: Ah, do you have any uh, fitter and turner mates who use those things called gauge blocks? Oh, no. Nah. So a gauge block is a block of metal that is uh, coming in a certain size, one centimetre, two, five, ten, and they're in a special velvet-lined box and you get cheap ones and you get expensive ones and they are accurate at a certain temperature to like one part in a million. When it says that it's a centimetre, it means a centimetre plus or minus a millionth of a centimetre. And they're they're polished dead flat, and I mean really, really dead flat, and they're covered with an oil. And when you want to, say, get a three centimetre distance, you get a one centimetre one and a two centimetre one, you wipe the faces and you shove them together and you twist them, and man, you can hang your whole weight off them and they won't come apart. And they've effectively done cold welding but a a weak variety. So it goes back to what are called van der Waals forces, and I'm sorry, we've got to talk atoms. So in atoms like a mini solar system, you've got a central bit, which is very heavy, lots of empty space electrons. Now, think about that cloud of electrons. Overall, it's negative, but they're whizzing around and there might be a dozen or two dozen of them. So at any given moment, there might be more electrons on one side than the other, and the side that there's more electrons on is more negative. And the other side's more positive. And if it happens to be that that matches up with, on the other bit of metal, a cloud of electrons that are slightly less negative, the more negative one will stick to the less negative one. And that's called a van, V a n d e r W a l wild, W-A-A-L force. And it's what geckos use to be able to run across run, out of the, run across some water, across some sand, across some dirt, some oil, and then stick to your ceiling. Wow. They've, got, they've got legs, and then the legs break up into toes, and the toes break up into um, little tiny things, and then eventually you go down until you end up with S E T I've written a story on it called Atomic Geckos, and that's how they stick to the ceiling. So this cold welding thing, it won't normally happen if you just get ordinary steel, but because it, it's got an oxide coating but polish it up yep. and then just touch the steel, naked steel to naked steel, bingo, you've got cold welding.
2: True. Yeah, right. It's wild. Wow.
1: Yeah, it's wild. It's amazing. Yeah.
0: Thanks, John. Thank We're going to stay John. on the Sunshine Coast with Rhiannon. And, and you've been having a bit of a recurring moment in the middle of the night. What's, what's going on?
3: Yeah, hi, doctors. Um, for the last couple of years, I've had this reoccurring, like, wakeful dream where I'll go to sleep, fall asleep, and then wake up, and sometimes I'll whack my partner and go, "I forgot to brush my teeth." Um, sometimes I'll wake up after that. Sometimes I'll wake up midway walking to the bathroom, and sometimes I'll wake up midway brushing my teeth. And I'm just wondering, why is this reoccurring same dream happening? It's the same every time, and is this related to stress?
1: Um, well, firstly, it's a good thing that you're brushing your teeth. <laughs> the dentist will love. Do you also use dental floss? Yes. Good. Uh, By the way, for those who don't, remember, you don't have to use dental floss except on those teeth that you want to keep. The rest of them you don't have to use dental floss on. Okay, so you're doing a good thing. Mm -hmm. The second thing is, um, this is outside my range of knowledge, but I do have a bit of background knowledge, and I would suggest going to find a clinical psychologist. Now, I am not saying that you are nuts. And also, uh, in the same way, you are just as likely to have this as you are to have appendicitis. And if somebody gets appendicitis, you don't say, ha you're morally weak in getting appendicitis. So this is – the brain is incredibly finely tuned and it can do so many things. And it looks like you're going off on a little diversion there. And there are so many pathways that the psychologists can do. So I would recommend going to see a clinical psychologist after first alerting your GP to get a referral. Okay. So that way everything goes through your GP and – Do you have any other sort of semi-obsessive behaviour or is it just your beautiful teeth?
3: Um, It's just this one reoccurring dream around my teeth and when I wake up I'm absolutely convinced that I have not brushed my teeth.
1: Wow.
0: Rhiannon, do you have a memory as a kid, not to, you know, psychoanalyse you on air, do you have a memory as a kid where, I don't know, you got in trouble for not brushing your teeth or your parents used to drill it into you
3: or something? No, I don't feel like an outstanding memory of that, but How like as a kid, it was definitely encouraged twice a day, brush your teeth.
0: Doctor Carl, do you have any science, I guess, or knowledge about why we have those reoccurring moments, or in in our in our brain?
1: Uh, they're related to stressful moments from the past, and in a lot of my university career, I was fairly lazy and didn't study well. And I still have the occasional dream that not only am I sitting in an exam hall uh, for an exam I haven't done any work for, but yes, I know I'm I'm naked. Yeah, okay, right, okay, <laughs> just putting it out there. Uh, so I still have them, uh, and I've been talking to a few psychologists, mates And they say, oh yeah, okay, because they've I, I spent maybe three hours in my medical degree, on this sort of stuff, whereas the psychologists have spent just years mm. and years and years. So go and take advantage of their expertise. And with a bit of luck, you'll get a better sleep and still have your beautiful shiny teeth.
0: Gorgeous teeth. Thanks, for I love They're Thank shining
1: you. through the microphone right here.
0: <laughs> we got Woody from Adelaide. Last one before we take a song. Woody, what's your question?
2: Yeah, hi. Um, I was wondering, is it possible to hit and join two ice cubes together uh, by the pressure from the impact, momentarily turning the ice, the, the contact surface into a liquid. They um, yeah, so put one in each hand and you yeah, clap them together and hope for the best.
1: Yeah, so with welding, suppose you've got a lump of steel here and a lump of steel there. What you do is you heat each end of the lump of steel until it goes liquid. Then you shove the two liquid ends together, let them cool down, and they harden. Another way of doing it is to get two lumps of steel, for example, and hold one fixed and spin the other one. And the friction while they're touching, while they're kissing each other, will generate enough heat. They'll melt and then just let them cool down. So theoretically with ice, you could do that. Um, uh, Hitting them with enough force is tricky because there's this tendency for ice to be a little bit brittle sometimes. So maybe you could work out a little spinny machine and, oh, wow, you could even put in for the Sleek Geeks prize and win thousands of dollars. Uh, Look up Sleek Geeks prize. Um, And so you could hold one, spin it until it just turns liquid, stop it, hold it together and then it freezes, you got one solid block of ice. Theoretically, I think so, but if there's a welder that could ring in because I don't know – I still don't know how to <laughs> I'm weld. a welder
2: he by has. chance. Yeah. You are? Yeah. <laughs> so boilermaker yeah. mate.
1: Are you actually a boiler maker? Yeah.
2: I don't make boilers, but that's the yeah. The so, fun name for the
3: trade.
1: So you know what? I'd I love to learn how to weld. Yeah. It's one of the skills I should have picked up along the way, but I was just – Wasted my time.
3: Uh, my advice for anyone that wants to learn how to weld
2: yes. is always: don't. Yeah. Why? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's hot. It's smelly. It's um. Yeah. Yeah. It's just.
1: But unless you um, do things... It's a handy skill. Oh, it's a good skill and you can fix up things by just simply making metal do what you want.
0: And I love, Woody, that you've kind of gone from metal to then ice, wondering about the ice element.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I was hoping for a party trick with ice cubes and um, I had a few goes at it and, uh, yeah, rather unsuccessful.
1: Oh, okay. So maybe you could make up a little machine using your welding skills to sort of whiz them face to face while they're spinning and then hold them together with a spring mechanism and then you could... I don't know what use this would have at a cocktail party, but it <laughs> would entertain people.
0: Big old ice. Woody, thank you so much. I did much. up with a
3: lot of crushed ice. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> thank you, Dr Woody.
0: Dr Carl, you're heading to Splendour. You're doing a Moments in Science talk. I will be. But... Who are you keen to see?
1: Um, My wife says uh, Musgrave. Casey Musgrave. Okay, so I have done no preparation. I have been basically like a little paddle pop stick in the gutter of life and I know (laughs) I'm heading to the airport and I'm getting onto a plane and then I'm going to find out what's going on. And if anybody tells me that somebody's good to see, I'm going to see them. And also to check out my besties. um, They they forgot to uh, invite me around to their place while they're in Sydney. I (gasps) know. So
0: rude. They could go to their green room. Oh, yeah.
1: oh, the green room. Maybe. I dream of their green room. <gasps> oh,
0: my gosh. Wet so, leg, Splendor in the Grass this yeah, weekend.
1: I'm hanging out for them too. So they're the only two things I've got on the agenda. What about you?
0: Um, who do I want to see? I want to see Jungle. I also want to see Casey Musgraves. I want to see Gorillas. But I'm also going to be I've broadcasting at the same time. Oh, so I'm going to be hitting the daytime axe
1: mainly. You're, 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 you mean the fascist imperialist running dog lackeys of the presses of the honest working class are forcing you to work for your money?
0: Can you believe it? Oh, my God. <laughs> We've got Michael here on the Blue Mountains. Michael, got a question about dolphins. Dr. Michael,
1: welcome.
2: Hi there. Um, just wondering, you see it on TV, and sometimes I've been on a boat and you look over the bow, and there'll be dolphins and/or porpoises swimming in front of it. Just wondering what's going on there.
1: Um, firstly, they're intelligent. They're really curious animals and they want to find out what's going on, so they'll follow a boat just to see what's happening with that boat. Secondly, they might get some food for free. You know, it gets chucked over, either by the individual passengers on the ship, or there's a big dump of food at the end of the day. Um, thirdly, they get a free ride. So if they go to the bow of the ship, there's a wave created, and they want to, suppose they want to go from here to there, or they just want to get a free ride, less energy, they'll do that. And then finally they're competitive. And so you You can play with that competitiveness by, when you see the dolphin doing stuff, yell out, a whole bunch of people yell out and wave at it and shout, and the dolphin will hear you and look at you and go, oh yeah, I'll do a bit more of that. So you can actually kind of condition them into doing tricks for you, but maybe they're conditioning you into waving at them. I don't know who's the subject and who's the experimenter in that particular study.
0: <laughs> Do you think the way the boat moves through the water is assisting how they swim? Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: They, they definitely save a lot of energy. We've discovered oh, that yeah. with um, birds going in their V formation and we've recently proved it with aeroplanes, although the the spacing is fairly critical. And in general, you, you really want to have a distance between aeroplanes. But if you've got people with tight military control uh, and you've got a long mission, uh, sure. Oh, by the way, did you see about the Qantas plane that nearly ran out of juice on the way over to Perth? No. Because I was coming back from Perth a couple of weeks ago and they showed me a photo of the, the wind speed was something like 300 kilometres an hour. And so my longest ever going Sydney to Perth was five and a half hours. Coming back, my shortest was three and a half. This time it was three and a quarter. So this plane was going over and I'm guessing battling the headwinds because around August is when you get the biggest ones and they had enough fuel, but they just said, look, we're running low on Jews, Uh, put us in before everybody else. And, And so they landed with enough fuel and it was all safe, but they had to... Jump the queue because they'd been burning up a fair bit of fuel on the way over.
0: Oh my god nerve wracking. Well Michael thanks for your question.
1: Thank you. So you get free energy. Thank you Michael. Thank you Dr. Michael. We've
0: got Izzy from Nam. Izzy you are on the road. What's going on? Morning doctors. Doctors? Uh, Just me and my mate Allie driving to Splendor at the moment. We're doing um, dealing with a bit of rain. Uh, We're just wondering why the windscreen fogs up when it rains outside and what's the best way to fix it? Is it hot air? Is it cold air? Is it
1: Just waiting for the rain to stop. Um, You're breathing out water vapour and carbon dioxide with each breath. And so if you weigh yourself last thing at night and then first thing in the morning before you go to the bathroom, you'll find that you've lost maybe 300 to 600 grams of water vapour and carbon dioxide in the night. So if the air outside is cool... Then the windscreen glass is cool. Oh, I actually test drove a car once that had double glazing. I know. it was. Oh, quite yeah, a, that's right. Yeah, a quarter of a million dollars. But anyway, so you, we ordinary people don't have double glazing. So you just got this single bit of glass. If the outside's cold, then the water molecules kiss up against the glass and they stop shaking so much. And there's two things going on with water molecules. On one hand, they're because they're like a little boomerang and they've got hydrogen and oxygen atoms and the hydrogens are positive and the oxygens are negative, on one hand, there's a tendency for the boomerangs of water molecules to stick. But on the other hand, as the temperature goes higher, they vibrate more. So you've got these two opposing forces. They're trying to shake apart as the temperature goes higher, and they're trying to stick as the temperature goes lower. So when the water molecules, and if there's a lot of them in the car, because you and your bestie are breathing out, you are breathing out, aren't you there in your car? Yes. Yeah, okay. yeah yeah bring that. okay so you, there, there you go just causing your own problems there you are so because you if you didn't <laughs> breathe you'd be fine or you can just in, there's a thing they used to do in the olden days called cracking the window open by about a centimeter or two but then you get all that wind noise and you get buffeted and you get really exhausted after yeah. a while so crank on mm-hmm. the hot air to raise the temperature and mm-hmm. uh, and maybe crank on the ventilation there's two settings there's circulate you'll see a little arrow that goes around inside the car that's what mm-hmm. you use when Going in tunnels, and then there's through flow. Make sure you set on a through flow setting, so air comes into the front and out the back. Too
0: easy. So stop breathing, or crank the crank yeah. the hot air. Oh,
1: and, and also you have to come to my talk on Saturday, and I'm sending you an exam, and I'm expecting you to get 80% Rhiannon on this exam. Yep. Uh, is is and If you don't get 80%, I'm going to want to know why.
0: <laughs> what time? What time are you?
1: Oh, a bit around midday at the science tent. Now you don't have to come. You can still be my bestie, even if you don't turn up. <laughs>
0: Izzy, Make no, sure you drive safe, okay? See you then. See you up there. We got Seth from Adelaide. Seth, you got a question about lactose intolerance.
2: Yeah. Hey, Lucy. Doctor Carl. Um, I was just wondering because I saw something on Instagram earlier today, and it said that humans weren't always lacto or we were always lactose intolerant, and then we have built up a tolerance for it over time.
1: That's kind of right. I am wondering if that's true. It's kind of true. I actually did a TikTok on this if you go to Dr. Carl, D R K R L, and it goes like this. Um, We like to have uh, carbohydrate molecules as part of our diet. They've got a ring of five or six carbon atoms and they're held together by energy. And if we break them up and marry each carbon atom to an oxygen, we create carbon dioxide and get huge amounts of energy. So we like to eat carbohydrates. But... What can get absorbed across the gut wall from the gut into the bloodstream are only single rings of sugar. Uh, there's different types of sugars. There's galactose and uh, glucose and fructose, blah blah, blah blah blah. Now it turns out that lactose, which is the sugar in milk, is two rings of carbon stuck together: a galactose, as in galaxy, yep. and a glucose. Oh, by the way, Galactose, the way it got its name is that virtually every so-called primitive society has a story about how this woman was breastfeeding and then somebody bad came along and so she did a runner and she went into the sky and she squirted milk out of her breasts and that's why there's these streams of milk across the sky called galaxies. So uh-huh. that's why we call that sugar <laughs> Galactose, right? Okay, galaxy, Wrong. Galactose, right. So originally, all the humans that were born, we're going back 300,000 years, could make an enzyme to split those two sugars apart. So the sugar of galactose and glucose could then cross the gut wall into the bloodstream, get nutrition, breathe out carbon dioxide, make ATP happy, happy, happy. But we lost that as we became four, five, six years old. And so uh, people couldn't have milk uh, in large quantities. And then about 7,000 years ago in Hungary and... In four different places in Africa, about 4,000 years ago, a mutation happened. That suddenly we could break down, we we kept this enzyme until our adult years and for the rest of our lives. This enzyme has now spread around the world so that one third of people have it and I have this mutation, but two thirds of people don't. So the people who have this mutation, we can drink a milkshake and not have any problems. But if you give a milkshake to somebody, say, on the Pacific coast of China... Korea, their chances of them having that enzyme are low and then they'll have the squirts because the two molecules stay in the gut, water comes into diluted, squirts, 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 squirts. So that, <laughs> okay, uh, forget all those squirts. Does that answer your question? I'm oh, sorry, I'm a bit graphic. No,
2: that's alright. That answers my question.
1: Thank you very much. Yeah. So, uh, one third of people can have milkshake. Oh, by the way, and people who don't have the mutation, they can get away with maybe half a cup or a cup of milk but a milkshake, forget it.
0: Gosh. Yeah, even I'm not lactose intolerant, but even in my at, at my age of 28, I have a milkshake and it's a risk, you know. It's a decision.
1: Ah, because you can get a bit of the bloaty thingy. Yes. Yep. So that means that the two molecules are staying, so the enzyme is not as active. You can actually buy the enzyme in oral form and swallow it and then it'll go into your gut and it'll break – the two sugars apart, the galactose and the glucose. Oh. Yeah, so check with your GP uh, and or chemist.
0: We've got Dave and Brizzy. Dave, you've got a question about the birds and the bees. The
1: birds and yeah. the bees.
2: Okay. Hi, Dr. Carl. Hi, Dr. Lucy. Hi. I was just wondering, when lorikeets and bees are foraging in calistamines and grevilleas for the tastiest flowers, who gets right away?
1: I haven't heard anybody say callistemon for ever. What's a callistamon? Callistamon nice is a native tree with you know, beautiful pink flowers. Oh, I'm so thrilled that somebody knows our native trees. Thank you so much for enriching our life. Okay, the bottom line here, nature is bloody in tooth and claw. And so if the bird is going there thinking I'm going to go and try and get some nectar and there's a bee over there and it thinks, actually, I don't mind a bit of bee, it'll eat it. So uh, I am not an expert on how these two populations of animals work. So one population, the bees, they're a social animal. They form a hive and they have a certain type of communication. Birds, on one hand, are a little bit more isolationist, but when you come to the more clever birds like the magpies, they'll form groups and they'll hang in around in a tree and they'll only let you into the tree to roost with them or to sit there if you've got the special password, which sometimes is a (laughs) stick that you have to fly down to the ground, pick up the stick... Fly ten meters, drop it, and then you're allowed to sit in the tree. So the answer is I don't know, but I'm guessing that I don't know.
2: I
0: reckon the right. birds.
1: Yeah, I reckon the birds would win because they're bigger. Yeah, bigger. Yeah. yeah, but
2: the bees have got stings, so they hurt more.
1: Yeah, but the string. thing. Yeah, but that, the, the thing is that the sting will, in many cases, lead to their death. Oh, true. Yeah, because it's, it's connected into a muscle pump. So even if it gets ripped out, it'll still keep on pumping toxin into whatever animal they stung. So that way they can um, protect the DNA of the hive by diving for the hive. They take a dive for the hive.
0: Take a dive right. for the hive. Thanks, Dave. Thank, Thank you. Dave.
1: No worries. Hayley from Thanks.
0: Penrith saying, I've never heard the word squirt as much as I have in today's I'm segment. I'm sorry,
1: Hayley. <laughs> Look, I'm sorry. I, I'm just too thrilled about getting out of town and going up to walk around in the mud. <laughs> Hey what's the thing they said in that Woodstock? Oh, three days, man. Or the other thing they said, hey, there's some bad brown acid going around. Ooh. One of those. Quick fire.
0: Zach from Menai, what's your question?
2: Hi, doctors. Yeah, I just had a question about why we produce tears. Like, what are the purpose for producing tears? What's going on in our brains
0: that's causing us to say to produce water out of our eyes? Yeah. We show some kind of
1: emotion. Oh, Drink you mean water. emotional tears? Oh. Okay, we, we know why we produced tears for getting rid of grit uh, okay. and dirt – emotional tears, we do not know why we do it. It is the most ridiculous thing that you watch a movie and you're either laughing a lot or you're heartbroken and you start leaking water. Now, people say that apparently, this is a a reason for it, that you do it so that you can uh, bond better with people around you and it's cathartic. In most cases, no. If you're doing it by yourself and you're crying by yourself in public, you are making yourself weaker and a target and you can't see clearly. If you're doing it in private with a few friends, they can bond to You. But in general, we don't know why. A bunch of bunch of hypotheses. We do not know why. We know it's real. We don't know why.
0: Thanks, Zach.
1: Sorry.
0: We got Paul here from Nara. Paul, what do you want to know? Hello, Dr.
1: Hello,
2: Paul. Hello, Dr. Carl. Julie, how are you? Good.
1: And you're coming to question, Dr. Paul?
2: Yes. Um, I'll be quick. Um, it's been bugging me for years. On the moon, and on the Earth, uh, some of them are grown over, but the craters are perfectly round. Right. Now they seem to be perfectly round, equal on all sides. So that suggests that a meteor or an or a foreign object is hitting from directly vertically above. But when you see meteors and things coming across the sky, they're coming across at a very steep angle. So you would assume that there would be a heap of debris up at the leading edge and hardly anything at the trailing edge.
1: Right. Uh, luckily, I have the answer because the clever people in physics gave me this answer after 20 minutes of thinking about it. I mean the clever professors. Think about a meteor or a ball falling vertically into water. It kisses the water at the bottom of the round surface. It keeps on penetrating until it, the equator hits. And then finally, the top of the um, ball falling in is level with the water and there is a circular ripple created which then moves out in all directions. Are you with me so far? But I, I can't see it, the, how. The Hang on. But you with that example so far? Yeah. Okay. Um, now, now example number two. Imagine this coming in at an angle, so the bottom kisses the water, and then it skids across a bit, and then after a little bit later, while it's still skidding across, the equator of the ball hits, and then a little bit later, the top is level, and now you've created an oval blob in the water. Are you with me so far? Yes. Okay. Now, at this stage, you have created an oval blob, but the speed at which that blob sur- pr- propagates in the, in the liquid, be it liquid rock or liquid water, is, has nothing to do with the in- initial impulse and is entirely dependent, I'm going to say it slowly, is entirely dependent on the speed of sound in that medium. So in water, the raindrops might be coming at an angle and you might create an initial circular ripple, maybe eight centimetres by two centimetres, but then once yes. it's spread out to a metre across, you can't pick the difference. And so you're getting the same thing when the whole thing leaps up on the edges then uh, falls down again, you get that same circular crater.
2: Right, okay. Now, if, now I understand that if, if, the, uh, if the foreign object explodes in the atmosphere, will it still form a crater?
1: Uh, th- read up on Tunguska, T-U-N-G-U-S-K-A in 1908 where the Tunguska event was a comet uh, breaking up in the atmosphere and creating lots of little cra- craters but no big crater and blowing over all the trees for 50 kilometres around.
0: Thanks, Pauline Nara. we got to get out of here, Dr. Carl. We are heading to Splendour. You can listen anytime to Dr. Carl on the podcast wherever you get your pods. Make sure you like, subscribe and we'll catch you again next week.
1: Lovely. Duck. What?
0: I said duck. It's the Triple J Hit List. Oh, sick.
3: That feels really good.
0: The Hit List brings you the biggest and best new releases every week, and you can hear it all on the Triple J app. Find all the latest songs you've been hearing across Triple J in one
3: solid half hour of new music. The Triple J Hit List. Check it out now on the Triple J app.